Hello and welcome to the podcast where we shine a light on the complexities and challenges surrounding the importance of human behaviour on cybersecurity and compliance. That's right, we're talking about people being at the centre of information security and data protection and the challenges of engaging users to create change in their behaviour. This is Beyond the Firewall. Hello, and thank you for joining us for today's show, where we're going to discuss how to get smart about smartphone cybersecurity. Now, of course, Get Smart is the title of a hugely popular secret agent TV comedy movie franchise, and uh, the 60s TV series was penned by none other than Mel Brooks, and the Hollywood film stars Steve Carroll, Anne Hathaway, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Look, if you've never seen them, they're great fun. But now, here's something that always strikes me when watching movies that are older than around about a decade or so and get smart kind of fits in it's about 2008 but doesn't look that dated to me but the thing that gets me is how different the narrative would be if only it included smartphones because in the grand scheme of things smartphones haven't been around for very long yet in a relatively short space of time they've revolutionized how many of us conduct our day-to-day lives and for all the good stuff that smartphones have enabled from contactless payments to pokemon go there comes a cost especially in terms of risk so joining me today to take a look at the cyber risks posed by smartphones and how to mitigate them is metacompliance ceo and author of cybersecurity awareness for dummies robbie o'brien hello robbie hi david Yes, smartphones, but we don't call them smartphones. We call them mobiles, right? In our minds, they're the same as the Nokias we used to have for calling your mom or for calling your mates. But they really have become the keys to your life with things like multi-factor authentication. So I'm looking forward to delving into the risks and what we can do about it. Indeed, look forward to delving in. Speaking of phones, certainly not phoning it in is our special guest today, a returning guest, no less. It's professional con artist and world-renowned social engineer. It's the people hacker. It's Jenny Ratcliffe. Welcome back, Jenny. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming back to us. Tell us, what sort of things have you been up to since we last spoke, which was probably around about 18 months or so ago? Well, it's been very busy. Very busy 18 months. You know, we've got people returning to the office uh, and the risks associated with that and all the kind of adaptations to that, like, big movement to the cloud that we saw kind of post-pandemic. So there's been a lot of education and talks around that. And I've also been finishing all the pre released stuff for my book, which is out in February. So it's been a very busy 18 months. Oh, look forward to finding out more about that in due course. So smartphones, Robbie, you mentioned the old Nokias. My first, I mean, I, I had the obvious Nokias back at the turn of the millennium, but my first, I guess, proper smartphone was a Palm Trio 650. Didn't run BlackBerry OS or Android, didn't exist then. It ran a kind of like a Palm OS. It was great. But this was 2005. The iPhone was still very much a glint in Steve Jobs' eye, but it was my job to be a, an early adopter. Robbie, you mentioned smartphones there. Do you remember what your first smartphone was? And in the years since, how do you even begin to summarise how much of an impact they've had on all of our lives. I do remember my first smartphone and it was what was called a Cassiopeia and it was from Microsoft and it ran a special operating system of Microsoft. When you say it was the size of a brick, 
It really was. You couldn't put it in your pocket. <laughs> and they had a, a little thing which attached to your belt, which seemingly women really don't like because my wife wouldn't let me wear it. And it, it was a source of abuse. However, it moved on. So I don't have the first one that was working, but I have my favorite. This is my favorite here. I kept it because I just served me so well, which is the old Blackberry Bold. And the oh. thing about that, there's lots of things I loved about that, but it was the security was the thing that was really, really good. It, was, it had, if I remember back, enterprise security, you know, your organization gave you that phone. You know, you didn't buy, you didn't, no one went down and really bought them as their own personal phones. And I think that's what happened with smartphones, with iPhones, iPads, is that line became very, very blurred to where we are today, which is it's difficult to put that horse back in the stable. It's, 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 it's ran off, I think. Just done a quick bit of Wikipedia-ing to find the Casio Cassiopeia. Uh, Cassiopeia, also the name of a Japanese jazz band, but I'm guessing yeah. that's not what you had in your pocket. <laughs> but no, it was a PDA manufactured by Casio. It had Windows CE, I remember that, Oh yeah, as an operating system. And it is a thing of beauty. It's a, it's a shame you don't still have it. I don't have my trio, sadly, anymore, but I do still have my first Nokia. And on your point there about security, I remember on those early Nokias, and even the one that my daughter has now, she's only nine, my youngest daughter, so we got a little brick phone just to take on the, on the bus and whatever. The security on that is literally pressing one button and then pressing star to unlock it. That is as advanced. And really, I think the lock function back then was mainly to prevent those kind of like butt dials accidentally calling your mum while your phone was in your pockets. Uh, you know, like you say, things have moved on ever so slightly since then. So, Robbie, what has changed in that time since your first Cassiopeia? So what I think has changed for me is that we've got to the stage where I personally... I'm getting problems with repetitive strain injury on my thumbs. I, I don't have the, the 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 extent, and that's how much I use my mobile phone because I'm sending emails, I'm writing notes, and I think the big thing for me in terms of security that has changed so much is the use of the phone in relation to multi-factor authentication. And I just upgraded to a new iPhone 14 Pro. The change was relatively seamless. The problem is all my authenticator apps needed to be re-authenticated. Some of them were looking for you to authenticate using the phone that was now dead and gone, had gone back to, to Apple for recycling. And so it just showed me how much the phone has become the keys to your entire life. Jenny, what was your first smartphone? And wearing your cybersecurity hat, what's your take on how smartphones have quietly, maybe stealthily evolved. Such a key part of our daily security, as Robbie says, but also by virtue of that, such significant risk vector in our lives as well. Do you know, it's so tied in, isn't it? Because when I, you know, we, I was thinking about this question before I came on and the truth is, I don't remember. <laughs> I do remember a time when I got a phone that didn't do these things, you know, and, and I think that's really a really telling kind of thing. I, it feels like we've forever had these devices that, that did everything just in our pocket. You know, I don't remember looking at a phone thinking, I can email from this or I can use my bank account from this. It just doesn't stand out for me. I remember the early phones. I had 
strange shapes, like ones that I think had one in the shape of like a leaf or something. I think. Yeah, no- Nokia did a whole range of its experimental phones. Like I think they were the seven series or eight series or something. Yeah, and they were just like, you know, why would you do that? And it fell out of my pocket all the time because it had no kind of corners, if I remember, or just in two little corners. So I mean, I think that's the point, isn't it? Is that it just feels so natural now it just it's part of everyone's life you you know you look at it you go to a concert you see everybody's looking down at the phone they're not watching the act it's sort of very sort of surreptitiously just come into everyone's life and become an extension of your life and I mean that's really the thing you know like you say with the security hat on I think that's why people are slacker about security on their phones than they are perhaps on laptops they sort of it's not even so much they take it less seriously. It's just trickier to put in. Like Robbie says, you've got to fix a million apps. If you change some of the security that you can buy to put on phones can be very obstructive. I put some extra security on my phone and couldn't get into any websites and I kept shutting the apps down because presumably it was risk. You know, until in the end, you end up taking it off and actually using the proprietary security, which isn't bad, but if you use it. But I do think that's the thing. It's become something that is so omnipresent and it's omnipresent from the minute you wake up. I mean, this is the thing. From a social engineering point of view, of course you want people to be less alert and less sort of involved in the security of something. You want people to make snap decisions and things. But like how long is it after you wake up that you reach for your phone and read your texts or your emails? I mean, all of these things, we can be a bit groggy and still go through emails and stuff. You know, and I was just switching mine off there. I realised when you were talking, I hadn't sort of silenced it. It's an extension of everyone. You know, everyone's arms are a couple of inches longer because the phone's usually in the hand. And I think from a security point of view, that makes it dangerous and it connects people with malintent to everything that we do 24 hours a day. Yeah, my phone wakes me up in the morning. It's my alarm clock there on its little cradle by the side of the bed. But it's also, and I hate that this happens, but it just does. It's what I tend to fall asleep to as well. It's like, all oh, right, let's have a look at the diary for tomorrow. What things do I need to put on my things? Yeah. And then I wake up with my phone like dropped on my face or something. It's that horrible bookend to the day. But you're right, that that leads us into this sense that it is an extension to ourselves. And maybe we do take it for granted. And Robbie, your point earlier on, smartphone, well, it gets called a number of names in English, mobile, but surely the thing that it really is, is a computer. And it's not just a computer in our hand, Robbie, it's a computer in our hand with a window onto the world, onto the cloud, onto pretty much everything else that's connected in the world. And that's where the real, real power and real risk comes in, I would say. I think it is that really risky combination of such power, the storage, the memory on on the device, the capability for taking pictures at such high quality is now taken for granted. But we as human beings haven't evolved our behaviors in line with that. And I, I was thinking there, Jenny, you were saying about, you know, it's the first thing you pick up in the morning. If you go back maybe 30 years, the vast majority of people would have had a, a coffee and a cigarette. Now they have a coffee and they're their mobile phone, you know, the mobile phone has that sort of fix or habit of going to it automatically and being immersed in it. And I think that that immersion, that sort of like trance that you get yourself into is particularly if you've drink taken or you're you're tired or it's the end of day, 
you're just wide open for social engineering exploits. But I think it is, again, you go back to that that mix of, of personal and then you bring your organizational life and now you have pr productivity applications on your, basically your play device, right? Your, the thing that you, mm. you look at Facebook and the thing that you play games on is the same thing that you are typing into Slack or Teams. It's the same thing as you're typing into your monday.com or whatever because all those productivity apps are more productive because they get into that uh, personal space and you're more likely to use them much more you know as opposed to the discipline of sitting in front of the computer turning on the computer and we're working now the other thing is goes with you throughout your day and that i think is the biggest risk of all and one that is very very hard to mitigate you know, it, it's just what you were saying as well, Robbie, and, and that really uh, made me think was, it used to be you used to have at least two phones. Yes. You used to have a work phone, you used to have like a, a normal phone, and often another one. I mean, I remember having like, and I, again, I can't remember exactly when this happened, or but I remember having like a smartphone, a phone for text and calls, and a work phone. And having three of them. So never mind having yeah. one in your pocket on your pocket, three of them all clashing against each other in the briefcase or in you know, and in your suit. And and it just isn't the way anymore. And like you say, that crossover. You could be answering an email for work, making a banking transaction, and playing, well, as David said, Pokemon. You you said that as a good thing. But you know, that's been mapped <laughs> out as, as like, you know, a really good way of tracking everyone and taking or constantly updating photographs and things if you look into your own oh, yeah. Pokemon. Oh, yeah. I'm uh, on Strava and, as well. And its yeah. origins. All, all of right? the things. <laughs> and Strava, for, you know, from a security point of view, is and all of those fitness apps are very dangerous in as much as they will show where people are and show where routes and things are. We, I think this is something, the phone and then the apps, so it's almost two separate things. It, it became ubiquitous. And when something becomes ubiquitous that quickly and it's adopted, it's like the internet itself. Progress is faster than security sometimes. And I think that's really the danger that we're talking about. All right. So we've spoken about how these devices are extensions of ourselves, that they are omnipresent when we wake up, when we go to sleep, when we go to the loo, loo surfing, that's a thing. <laughs> so there's potential here, you know, and we just spoke about Strava and about Pokemon Go. There is potential there. So how are criminals turning this potential, this risk? How are they kind of twisting the knife on that and really turning this into leverage for them, really actually benefiting from the risks that our smartphones pose to us? Anything that's highly personalised, anything that is highly tailored to an individual is useful in any number of social engineering approaches. Because what one of the things that makes people click on the links or open the attachment or or give information is a personalised approach. And of course, your phone mm -hmm. is just about the most personalised thing you could ever have. You know, everything from the wallpaper that you choose to how long you select for it to go to lock screen to the apps and everything on it. That is you, you know, more than anything has ever been in history. That is an extension of that person. You give me someone's phone and you give me them their life. And so if you can imagine, criminals know that and they know that they can get everything from our, our photographs for things like personal ransomware, you know, kind of bribery, coercion, scams, to access to accounts and emails for other approaches, for money, for identity. Everything is locked up in there. So it is the keys to the kingdom. It is, the, it is absolutely the crown jewels. 
to get access to someone's phone, more so even than a laptop, because that phone has got all your personal text and everything else on. And so what we see in terms of scams is really anything that can hook into anything that's on the phone. You know, your social media is on the phone, so you can call every social media scam. If it can come through that phone, it's going to be so much more effective. So there's just it, it just gives hundreds of potential access points and hundreds of stories and narratives that are potent enough to get someone to fall for them. So it can be anything, you know, in terms of what exactly, whatever is new, trending or in the news is always the script for cons and scams and breaches. And that's what you see. So, you know, you could say, oh, well, specifically, what is it? Well, anything, give, you know, any, name anything. And that's what will be accessed. If you look at something like, for example, there's apps, there's one called Be Real, but there's others. And what that does is it prompts users a couple of times a day. And what they're supposed to do is take a photograph that takes a photograph of what's in front of them and what's behind them at that point. And there's urgency pressure on that. There's emotional pressure, you know, peer pressure to keep up and, and, and keep the app going. And that is obviously from a security perspective, terrible idea showing everybody right now exactly where you are. And of course, it's pinpointed and, it, you know, your, your location and everything else. Of course, that's pinpointed and, and zoomed in on by criminals. So it doesn't matter is the answer. It doesn't matter what the latest scam is. It doesn't matter exactly how they use it. They will use anything and everything. And our phone, hundreds of access points to an individual. I've just counted, well, I've not, I've not literally counted. I've just been into, uh, into the settings and about 405 apps on my iPhone at the moment. And from what you're saying, potentially each and every one of those, they, they do something different, but each one of those, more or less, is a different access point. They aren't, they aren't all social media apps, but they all do a thing. Many of them will connect to the internet or, you know, collect information about me or, or share information. Location services, switched on, yeah. microphone. Why would your microphone be switched on for, for certain apps? Because don't yeah. forget, that's not just you speaking, that's listening in. So people, and I say people, I'm counting myself. I was just looking at it now. You know, people don't review apps. It's installed. We maybe use it occasionally. You know, you can't travel without installing lots of apps at the moment. I've just be, got back from a big trip in Scandinavia and the Arctic. Every flight needed the app. Hotels yeah. needed the app, needed it for the train. So, you know, and all of those are installed and then we kind of leave them or if we delete the app itself, we don't delete our data from the app completely and people don't update them. So I was just looking at my phone and, and it's a sort of a standard joke with one of the shows I do, but I'm looking at how many apps need updating right now on my phone. Oh, okay? right. And these are go. security updates. And near enough, every time you get a notification of an app needing an update, it's a security update or at least related. And I am looking at my phone right now. Now, this was updated a couple of days ago. I don't do auto updates, but it was updated mm. just a couple of days ago. And I have 74 apps that need updating as of now. And I, a lot of those will be security updates. My magic number is 231. I'm which so is... pleased it is. <laughs> that doesn't make me the worst. <laughs> and I win at 55. But, I win at 55. Okay. You win, see. I do. And you know the reason why I win? Because the last time I was with Jenny, she did this with me and said, how many apps have you? And at the time I must have had, like you, David, 255. And the look on her face of disappointment, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I couldn't cope with that again. And I, I just got myself into a little habit 
of at night because like you guys, the, the phone's beside me on the bed stand. And I update every night because, you know, you don't do it during the day because it messes up with your mm. bandwidth and whatnot. But also the reason that I don't enable auto updates, I don't know if this is the same as, as you guys, is because, uh, I mean, coming from a an enterprise background, you didn't auto update anything. You know, you wanted to read the release notes. You needed to understand, are you suddenly switching to a subscription model and you're going to break a key workflow that I have got, got with this app? So I like to vet every app as it goes through, but with, you know, 400 plus apps on there and with the frequency, Jenny, that you speak about, about how frequently they are updating, mm -hmm. then it's just difficult and it's time consuming. And I know it's wrong and I know it's wrong. And there's many and things about our smartphone use that I know I realise are not best practice from a security point of view, but I kind of take the risk. I kind of it's take the, the gamble. It's the eternal struggle between convenience and security. And and, yeah. and we don't want it. You know, people don't want it. You don't want to find that you've got to log in again or that you've got to remember a password that you've probably forgotten. You don't want to be able to do it. But then we'll sort of look at social media and repost articles about this company got hacked or so much data's gone. These are the fixes that the companies put in place to try and fix these security problems when they arise. But people don't want to do it. And I and I say it doesn't matter that it's time consuming. It doesn't matter that it's inconvenient. These are the things you have to do because these are the ways in, right? And it's easier yep. to do that than break through company firewalls and, and everything else, you know? But it, all of us are guilty of it because we don't want the hassle. We, we don't want our phone to go dead for 20 minutes or 25, David, if you've got to update hundreds of apps and the app might change completely. I mean, it might. Something that you were speaking about a moment ago is having two phones, three phones, like yeah. we used to do in the olden <laughs> days. And yeah, guilty of that. David, three phones, McClelland. And it seemed, you know, I was I was thinking about this about 10 or 12 years or so ago when I was just kind of making my move from IT in, into media. One of the things that was like the big buzz phrase in the IT industry was BYOD or bring your own device. And bring your exactly own this, disaster, we say. Bring your own disaster, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But corporates believe they could save a packet load of cash, didn't they, while boosting productivity? Because it means we could, from one device that the corporate didn't pay for, that we paid for ourselves, it meant that we were able to carry on working on the train, on the loo, in bed or whatever. Fast forward now, Robbie, to... to today's less innocent times. Are you kind of left with the sense, given the conversation we're having today about the risks that the smartphones that we have, or the devices that we have that mingle our personal life and our professional life together, do you get the sense that this whole BYOD revolution was ill-advised? I remember this really well because we started out in 2005 and at the time there was a, a, a very popular phrase in security circles called deperimeterization, which I always have to stop to remember how to pronounce, but it was like the perimeter is gone and it was to do with BYOD. But really in that time, you're correct in that the businesses or management within businesses wanted to have these mobile apps and go to mobile. But in general, there was a last ditched attempt by IT and by information security to not have BYOD or bring your own disaster because the unforeseen consequences just piled up on them. Um, because I think there was an acceptance that if you have someone who has an iPad at home and then you give them an, an iPad and work, but well, they're going to use it in the same way. And 
they're going to look to do this. So if you lock it down, it, it sort of was counterproductive. And also people wanted to use their own personal iPads as well as their desktop PC. And and um, I think what happened was security could never get gain control of that. The businesses, as you say, wanted it. Even just before COVID, it was still BYOD was still talked about, was still sort of trying to play whack-a-mole with it. For us, it focused on policy. So you had to write down, what are you allowed to do and what are you not allowed to do? And after COVID, all bets were off. All policies needed rewritten. And to this day, that's where we, where I think we stand, is that mm-hmm. probably almost need an annual review. And, and I use the word policies and people's eyes glaze over, right? But if you approach it another way and say, what what's your big rules? What are your big rules of security? What are your guardrails of security? The things that you will not put up with, for example, right? That's what your policies are, essentially. But uh, if you if you did it in big rules, you would have to come and ask questions about mobile security because it has to be number one. It makes me laugh, you know, Ravi, what you're saying, because uh, this client is talking about, you know, the digitization that happened during the lockdown. Everybody just grabbed the nearest thing. And, and, and in some ways, it was a real positive thing, I think, because it just accelerates digitization and, and everyone moving to the cloud and all these things that kind of needs to happen. I think in some ways it, it takes a big event like that to sort of progress us all forward. But it makes me laugh because you're talking about those big list items that a lot of organizations have got. And I was in a meeting with a client <laughs> and their security team. And it's a very senior director of a very big company, a brand we'd all know, go saying to the head of security, what the hell is a VPN? <laughs> <laughs> and why do I need to know? I thought I paid you to know what a VPN is. You know, when she's like, what is it? I don't care what it is. I, and, the, and this is one of the issues. It's people just assume if there are rules and policies in place, I think that it's taken care of, you know, that, that they can be kind of a passive participant in security because we give them some big picture items. And the truth is we can give them some big things to do. And I think you're absolutely right, Rob. I think we have to do that. But the the lesson that still isn't getting through to people, I don't think, just on a granular level, just on an individual level, is that you can't be passive in security. If you've got one of these devices that you are changing, that you are responsible for updating, that you are uh, adding to and taking away and communicating, you have to be an active participant in your own security, in the security of the device, and it links to the business. I think that business link has to be something that people understand is very important, but isn't the be all and end all. And I think that's what people really can't quite get their head around. Protect it to protect yourself. And by default, the business is protected. We can help as corporates, but you have to, we all have to be a bit more literate about it. And people don't want to be. Turning the conversation around a little bit to the, well, how do we mitigate against all of this? If we can't expect people to be super tech savvy and people are humans at the end of the day and you know i've just divulged how many apps i still need to have updated on here what can we do working with individuals whether they are people who are part of a general workforce or prime ministers of a nation how can we start to create a safer environment in which we can have the best that we can of both worlds the benefits that come with mobility and the productivity gains, as well as the, you know, frankly, lifestyle conveniences that smartphones give us. How do we start to make these things a bit safer? I think that people are at the centre of it all because 
they have the data, they operate our organizations, our society. And people, as Jenny has said, really hate controls. So controls by their very nature, I've always found that intelligent people spend more time bypassing the controls than they do just, you know, following through. So you have to give them the rationale. You have to make them feel that the data that they have is precious, that the actions that they have have real consequences. And we're talking about smartphones. And for me, in the last sort of four or five years since multi-factor authentication has become essentially established on your mobile phone, that means that the financial sector, your organization is using your mobile phone as, as your digital key or your digital keys. It's now these combination frauds where they're not only just using your mobile phone in terms of ringing you, but they're also using different apps to convince you that this is legitimate because, you know, there's so much business-like activity going on. And it's happening at a time when you're, you're typically not paying attention, which is the key to, to social engineering. And so the growth of social engineering is something that I don't think you can invest enough time in making staff aware of. It's just the, the gap between what they need to know just for social engineering and where it is today is so huge that I think you're looking at a multi-year project if you were to do it particularly effectively. It takes a long time to change people's behavior and, and you have to keep changing the way that you communicate with them because they become very numb to it very, very quickly. We mm -hmm. do, everybody does it's the same, but it's about building these safe habits and building a culture in your organization. And culture is a bad word because I'm coming to that conclusion. It's a bad word because it doesn't really mean anything. You know, it doesn't mean anything to, you know, the culture of is, is one of those nefarious statements. It is what you're trying to do, but that's where we're at at the minute. You have to take something like the changes that are needed and break it down into smaller chunks. So, for example, having security around smartphones, the issues around smartphones is so important. And the takeaway for anybody, I think, listening in today is try and get people, I've tried to everybody in, in family and whatnot, to keep updating the apps find a way, find a habit that gets that to happen. I'm someone who's redeemed myself. Now, David, it's up to you. That's your big takeaway for today. <laughs> I would set my apps to update right now, Robbie. However, I'm scared I might eat up all of the bandwidth. I have <laughs> so probably ruin the recording by doing so. So I will do it as soon as we wrap up today, I promise. Jenny, what's What's your take here? I mean, Robbie mentioned social engineering, you know, awareness of breaking things down into small chunks and about how this really is a multi-year project to help us to use these devices, you know, productively but safely. What's your kind of take on how we can do that? Yeah, I mean, I would, I'd go further. I agree with everything Robbie said, but I'd go further. It, this is an infinite project. It's not got an, a time frame. It just is always going to be the case. And you, of course, you need to break it down. We need to make security measures easier for people to understand and to implement and to keep up to date, right? And and to do that, that's really the responsibility of the people who write the apps and the businesses who create environments that might be worth hacking. And if you look at something like banking, you know, banking security, they, they, they do well, you know, to get into your account now. You know, that most banks make it personal experience. There's lots of warnings and things. The world knows about this and is trying to mm. keep up to date. What we need to do is, is give people, I think, a couple of things to do. So I talk about passwords and I say to people about uh, 
you know, you need strong, unique passwords for every site. And it doesn't mean that they can't be hacked. We can find passwords if you know where to look. But people go, oh, and I say, okay, pick your top 10 apps. The top 10 things that you use passwords and make sure that they are unique, right? Maybe your bank, maybe your email, maybe a shopping site or app or two or whatever. If they can't do everything, do one thing. Like with fitness, if you can't get, do, you know, the jog five miles every day, do take the stairs, you know, just do one thing. It's a pragmatic approach. I like that. And it's the foot in the door approach, you know, it's classic yeah. influencer behavior. A little bit and then grow on that little bit and, and, and tell people, you know, you're doing that, that's great. You know, and it, like, Robbie, it's great that you've only got 55 after you had a million the last time. And I had, <laughs> exactly. You know, and I've got more than you now. You know, that's great. I'm not sore about that at all. <laughs> so it's that type of thing. It's a little and often and it will never end. This is something that will be ongoing because we're not reversing the digital age. It's only accelerating. So now what we have to do is make sure that we keep up to date with the basics. The more complicated things, you know, that's always going to be more challenging. But mostly these hacks and things, and especially social engineering, they exploit basics. And people don't do the basic things even. You get the basic things done and then we'll start to talk about more sophisticated things. And, you know, if you talk about social engineering and phones, the thing I always say, and Robbie knows this very well, if I've got to convince someone of something, I say, put me in front of them, right? Or at least get me on the end of that phone because face-to-face -face or over the phone, I can deploy a million influence strategies, persuasion strategies, and I will get someone. That's if you, if I really, if, if someone's a tough nut to crack, put me in front of them or put me on the end of that phone. And that's what the phone's doing. It's that combination con. We've got you to buy a cars, you know, uh, iTunes cards or whatever, a store card, and now we're going to speak to you about it, and now we're going to pretend to be the bank, and it just layers and layers and layers using a combination of apps and a combination of techniques. You know, I totally agree with Robert. Small things, and if you can't do everything, do something, and that's the thing. That that would be my slogan. Do something. Do this. <laughs> one thing. Because getting them to do one thing, getting them to do it regularly, like Rob says, it becomes muscle memory, and then we can build it and do another thing. Do you think that organisations that aren't patient enough or see the risk as being more immediate than their ability to mitigate against it and ensure that their workforce is embarking on best practices. Do you think we're going to go back to having two phones again, having that work phone and, uh, and personal phone being separate? You've got to be realistic about the way people live their lives or you'll never be secure. People won't go, oh, hang on, I've got to make a secure call. I'll pick up the other phone if that phone's at the top of their briefcase. It just won't happen. So I think what companies need to do is they need to be real and look at the reality that's facing them and then work to improve that before they try and give people some utopia where every secure call is made on a different phone. You've got to work within what people do, what they actually do. And Robbie's quite right to say the culture is one of these analogous sort of catch-all terms that really I don't think people in the workplace really take it seriously when people say we've got a security culture. That's just take a ticket and stand in line from the health and safety culture and the compliance culture and the customers. Are, you know, people are busy. So it's got to be a, something that, that that's easier to do. It's got to be easier to be secure than insecure. Mm. And we have to work within the fact that people aren't perfect and that people make mistakes and we'll go for the quickest route to getting something done. You know, and we've got to plug away and plug away at that all the time. It's an infinite project. We've looked at the past and the present in terms of what 
the past in terms of what the challenges are, how we've got to where we are today, the present in terms of what we might be able to do to make our practices more secure. Just finishing up on the future, we don't really know what's next. Smartphones have, in the space of 10, 15 years or so, changed how we do what we do. As we said at the beginning, there's lots of talk about what the next platforms might be after smartphones. Are we going to wear them on our faces? Is it going to be more, you know, wrist wear or whatever else? What can we do to prepare ourselves with whatever the next cyber challenges are with personal devices, no matter what, Robbie, kind of computer that we use? Is it all about setting these safe practice foundations, raising awareness and then applying those whatever devices we end up using? All of this digestion of new technology takes time. So I'm not so worried about these new wearable devices. I think regardless the criminals will be ahead of anything that we're doing uh, because they invest the time that they're looking to uh, layer on cons on top of, of of situations. I think that technology is permanent. It It is the, I mean, again, during the lockdown with COVID, we survived that from a business perspective because we were able to work from home. We were able to use Zoom and Teams and all those things. So it's permanent. Who would have seen the, the conference call uh, evolution in, in, in just two and a half years? If you remember back to January 2020, December 2019, and you went on a conference call, like no one put their video cameras on. And in fact, at that point in time, you were actively encouraged to, to block out your uh, video camera because hackers yeah. could see what you were doing. And so things change so quickly, technological wise. I, I think the one thing that doesn't change quickly is people. And the problem is that people do know that cybersecurity is a problem. I don't think that's the issue anymore. Everyone sees the messages from their bank, the messages on, on the radio and so on. I think the next bit is, is trying to hook them to moving forward, to engaging with them. And I think there is a correlation between how engaged your people are compared to your enterprise risk. If they're not engaged, if they're paying lip service, if, if you're sending out bland statements and policies and you're going around the controls in the, the, the age old way, I could guarantee that they aren't engaged. The other thing is much more difficult. The reality is, the hackers are working on engagement. They're working on yep. really clever social engineering scams. That's what you're up against. Like that's that's the acceptance of regardless of what technology. And unless you move forward in those engagement initiatives, be it, you know, just telling people do these two things for this year. This year, that's all we want you to do. These two these two things or these five things or or whatever. Breaking it down, as Jenny said, into into, you know, your atomic habits, you'll get change and you'll become more defended in, in some way. Small steps. Listen, team, we are out of time for today. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us again today. Where can people find out more about what you're up to and find out more about your book when that finally lands? Well, I used to say on Twitter, but I mean, really, Who knows? I'm available on social media platforms, <laughs> including Mastodon. You can be one of my six followers on Mastodon. <laughs> As it starts to grow. Uh, now, you find me, uh, we've got humanfactorsecurity.co.uk is the website. And the book is called The People Hacker and will be out in February. And I think it's fair to say 
that you will see me around talking about that. Look forward to the book and look forward to seeing you uh, around talking about it. Robbie, you've got a book, Cybersecurity Awareness for Dummies. What does that have to say about best practices for using your mobile for work and for play? So it's a playbook for people looking to get started, to implement real-world approaches to changing how their their people react to, to, to these threats. Lots of other coming up to the new year, we always say to people, look, plan 12 months in advance, get a plan in place. It's like a marketing campaign. So coming up to January now, we have loads of templates and posters and campaign planners so that you can go into the year and really have the, the 12 months mapped out ahead of you. You have a an approach based on the book, obviously, and people can uh, get these on, on metacompliance.com or as Jenny says, LinkedIn and other social media accounts. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jenny. My pleasure. Always a pleasure. And Robbie, thank you also for joining us. Look forward to seeing you all again next time. Bye-bye for now. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.